0: If you walk into any public school in New York City, even an elementary school, you'll be greeted the same way. Not by the principal, not by a teacher. It's so funny, right? Because it's going to be a police officer. Anya Kamenitz is an education reporter. She lives in Brooklyn, just like me. I remember when I first sent my kids to school in New York City. I was kind of shocked that there was a police presence inside them and that the police presence was so evident, like, the second you got in. And I sort of assumed it was a city thing. Yeah, but that's actually not true.
1: It is really common, um, and it's very much a product of the sort of, like, the age of Columbine.
0: I called Anya up because I wanted to talk about this police presence. Tens of thousands of schools now have what they call student resource officers, which is a nice way of saying police officers who work in schools. Many of them carry guns. And after every school shooting, the clamor for more of these officers gets louder. We can't stop bad people from doing bad things. They're going to violate- Hours after 19 children were gunned down at an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, the state attorney general went on Fox News and suggested that arming people in schools could keep kids safe, even though in Uvalde, the schools actually had their own police force. Having the right training for some of these uh, people at the school is the best hope. And, and nothing's going to work perfectly, but that, in my opinion, is, is the best answer to, to this problem. A few months later, Senator Ted Cruz got more specific.
1: I think the number one thing that makes schools safer is having more armed police officers on
0: campus to keep our students safe. Then, just last week... Texas mandated that every public school have an armed security officer. And this isn't something that's just happening in red states. The Department of Justice has invested tens of millions of dollars in training school resource officers all over the country. I hear politicians talk about school resource officers, and it sounds like they're using the language of, you know, good guys with a gun, you know, people to protect our kids. Is that how you'd talk about them? So I have to say, Mary,
1: I have seen school resource officers be beloved members of school communities. I've even seen them drawn into programs that are proven to improve student performance, student sense of belonging. And so individual officers can be really, really beloved. As a group, (laughs) their influence is very different. We often see um, on the news where, uh, you know, you've seen school resource officers, there have been viral videos of them handcuffing kindergarten students, arresting little kids. You know, an officer has a certain programming and they don't always have the training to be as sensitive or as um, responsive as we would ideally like someone to be when a child is having a a problem.
0: As you can probably tell, Anya is not without a point of view on all this.
1: As a mother, of course I want my child, you know, locked up and vacuum sealed and with Beto behind many, you know, locked doors for their safety. But you know, we've given so much up in that idea. And and I think that, you know, that's really the dichotomy that we're dealing with right now.
0: Today on the show, how having a cop at your kids' school became the norm, even though very few people think it's making anyone safer. that means no more waiting for quote normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Can you explain what exactly is a school resource officer? Like, is it a guidance counselor, a police officer, something in between? Like, when I see these folks, who are they?
1: Yeah, so school resource officers are armed, sworn police officers. They go to academy. They are trained cops. And this is this is a duty that they can be on just like you can be a traffic cop. And I think it's important to understand that these programs began as a form of community policing and essentially as a PR initiative for police departments. They began in the 1950s. And the idea was send cops into the schools to strengthen ties between young people and police
0: Hmm. So interesting. It sounds like it started out as a way to soften police officers, but it's kind of evolved into a way to harden schools. That's exactly right. So how did school resource officers pick up steam?
1: When we started having mass shootings. So, you know, really starting with Columbine in 1999, the thought was, you know, if someone had been there, maybe we could have stopped this sooner. And so that's where federal funding started to come in and where the expansion of these school resource officers started to happen. And not only that, but there are some districts where they have their own police departments. So the entire police department is only working inside
0: schools. That's how it was in Uvalde, right?
1: That's right. And that was not a very big district or a very well-funded district, but they had made this a priority.
0: So what's a school resource officer's day-to-day responsibilities?
1: Well, it really varies. It varies depending on the size of the school. You know, they may be directing traffic in the parking lot. They may be stopping people when they come in, in in the morning. They may be called to the scene if there is a discipline situation where, you know, the the teachers or the educators feel like they need backup. And that last part is where we really get into some trouble because when there's disruptive behavior in schools and you have a cop coming on the scene They don't necessarily have a bunch of tools in their toolbox as far as behavior or de-escalation. They are police officers. So they come in and they do what police officers do, which is, you know, subdue people, um, maybe handcuff people, and maybe even make an arrest.
0: How does someone become a school resource officer? Is there training? (laughs)
1: <laughs> so the National Association of School Resource Officers does offer training. That's sort of their trade association, for lack of a better term. But the amount of training and the exact training that they receive really varies. And many school resource officers say that their training is specifically lacking in dealing with kids in trauma or kids who have special needs. And so if many, many times they're going to be called to a scene where a child is having essentially a meltdown. Um, or is, you know, acting violently because they have a mental health diagnosis or they have a special a special need, and the police officer in that room doesn't necessarily always know what to do.
0: How much money is the US spending on school resource officers at this point? Like I, I think I've seen that the US Department of Justice has funded school resource officers to the tune of tens of millions of dollars, which is a lot. I mean it's not it's not a lot in terms of the US government, but it's it is a lot.
1: Yeah. So after Parkland, the Stop School Violence Act included $85.3 million in grants that included supporting first responders, bolstering school security, but also funding these school resource officer programs.
0: Huh. It's interesting to me, especially to look at what happened in Texas this year, where you have a really good example of where school resource officers or a school police force, didn't do what many people would call a good job. They they did not intervene when there was a school shooting. And yet, when it was talked about at the statehouse, what do we do here? The answer was, let's have more armed people in schools. Can you explain what the rationale is there, like how that logic is working?
1: So first of all, I mean it's important to know that in the case of Bovaldi, the community really was split, right? So, you know, people were placed on leave, people were fired, people were horrified by the way that the police conducted themselves um during that massacre. But again, you know, thinking about the threat of a school shooting, which, you know, let's be clear, is really 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 rare, right? School shootings almost never happen. But they're so horrifying. They take over the imagination. And so I think the only thing that we default to because we ha- don't have a gun control conversation in this country. We don't say, well, we could prevent school shootings by preventing the presence of automatic weapons in our country. And if that is completely off the table because of the politicization of it, you default to, well, we could protect our kids if we had more
0: guns. I noticed this 2018 Washington Post analysis of 200 incidents of gun violence on campus that found only. Two times when a school resource officer successfully intervened in a shooting. Is there anything to make of that? Or are the numbers so small that it's hard to say anything at all? Well, I think
1: it's hard to say anything definitive. I will say that I asked Mo Kennedy um, a few years ago when I interviewed him. He's the, the representative of the National Association of School Resource Officers. And he said there are other examples that didn't necessarily make it into that analysis.
0: Um, Because they didn't get elevated to a level where a reporter would even know they happened?
1: Well, it was so funny because the example that he gave me was one where two people died. So uh, a boy brought a gun to school and fired on his girlfriend and then was fired on by a police officer. And I said, well, that sounds like a terrible thing that happened. And he was like, yes, but if the cop hadn't been there, he could have killed many more people. So you really find yourself in the position of having to kind of prove a negative or say, well, we don't know what would have happened had this guy not been there.
0: We'll be right back after a break. I want to talk about one incident in particular that illustrates how bad things can happen, even with a school resource officer present. I'm thinking about the shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School back in 2018. Seventeen people died that day, and there was this school resource officer on duty. His name was Scott Peterson. Can you tell the story of what happened that day from his perspective? So he
1: did not enter the building. While shots were being fired, he was armed with a handgun. He was not wearing a bulletproof vest. And, you know, what the prosecutors say, because he's on trial for this, is that he didn't follow his own training, which was basically as a school resource officer, you're supposed to run in the direction of shots being fired. Instead, he he did not do that. He stayed out of harm's way, essentially, while the shooting went on.
0: Yeah. And in his defense, because as you said, he's he's on trial for this right now he basically says, you know, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, there are multiple buildings in the campus. So he hears what he thinks is firecrackers. And he takes a golf cart to the place where the noises are coming from. And then it seems unclear to him exactly where they're coming from. So the question is, what do I do? Where do I run towards? And he clearly didn't run towards anything. But he's saying it was a little unclear what the appropriate action was. Is that fair?
1: I would have been confused. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure it was terrifying. I think people take
0: issue with the fact that he didn't run in any direction. Scott Peterson's trial is legally complicated. He's been charged with seven counts of felony child neglect for his alleged failure to do his duty, protecting Parkland students. To convict him, Prosecutors are going to need to prove that Peterson was acting as a caregiver in his capacity as a school resource officer. It's an uphill battle, legally speaking. Even if he is found guilty, Scott Peterson's story is just one very dramatic example of how a school resource officer can fall down on the job. There are also everyday examples that show how having a police officer who works alongside teachers shifts the whole school dynamic. A
1: 2011 study found that as schools increase their use of police, They record more crimes involving weapons and drugs. So if a kid has pot in a locker, right, is that gonna be dealt with privately by the principal's office or is that gonna be a mark on someone's record forever? More non-serious violent crimes get reported to law enforcement when cops are in the schools. In the fall of 2019, one officer in Orlando arrested two six-year-olds on the same day, put a six-year-old girl in handcuffs who had kicked someone at the school. There are dozens of documented incidents where a resource officer used tasers, pepper sprays, or injured or otherwise used force on a student.
0: Anya wanted to be sure to point out one more thing, that there's good evidence that not everyone is treated equally by their school resource officers. There is research that has shown that
1: in majority Black and brown schools, school resource officers see their jobs as protecting people from the students. So in other words, the students are seen as the danger or the potential perpetrator. Whereas in majority white schools, school resource officers are more likely to see their jobs as protecting the students from other people. So the same kinds of patterns and inequalities that we see in policing in our communities is oftentimes repeated inside the school and even in how we see the role of those officers.
0: So here's what I'm getting from this conversation. Conservative politicians are, are going all in on school resource officers, even though there are high-profile cases in which these officers failed to prevent school shootings. And in addition, there's this evidence that school resource officers may increase the likelihood of kids getting into trouble in school, probably not for very good reasons. So is someone offering up alternatives here? different suggestions for how we deal with keeping kids safe while they're learning? There's a lot of evidence-based ways to reduce violence in school. The FBI
1: and the Secret Service have both done their own research to lower the prevalence of violence in schools, including shootings. And their conclusions are almost nothing about cops, nothing about more guns, nothing about even physical security measures. What they're concerned with is the culture inside a school, and the way that schools respond to threats. So what they think is really important is that there is trust, because most of the time when there's a student who commits violence in school, there are other students that know about it. But they need to believe that there is a adult in the school that they can tell what's happening that will believe them and listen to them. And so what ends up being the most effective to reduce violence in schools and to prevent these kinds of incidents is not what you do in those split seconds when someone walks in armed, but what does it feel like in that school day to day? What are the relationships like between teachers and students? And do they have the teachers have the training to understand what to do and how to respond when there's a credible report of violence? That's what the Secret Service says is most likely to prevent school shootings.
0: It really does feel like this all kind of comes down to a question of how you define safety. Is safety locking things down or opening things up? How do we all get to a better place of, of agreeing on that? I wish I knew.
1: I think that we've we've accepted a very high level of sort of almost militarization in our public schools. And every parent who's had a kid who's done a lockdown drill knows what I'm talking about when we say, Really? This is how we're going to respond. We're going to make our kids think like they're in the military or, you know, they're they're being mobilized for a threat rather than try to actually reduce that threat. That's the response.
0: Anya Kamenitz. thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm really grateful to you for your time and your reporting. Thanks so much for having me. Anya Kamenetz is a reporter covering education and the author of The Stolen Year, How COVID Changed Children's Lives and Where We Go Now. And that's the show. What Next is produced by Paige Osborne, Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Madeline Ducharme, and Anna Phillips. We are led by Alicia Montgomery with a little help from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. You can go check me down on Twitter. Say hello. I'm at Mary's desk. Thanks for listening. Catch you tomorrow.